to Talk to Me with Liv Harrison, the stories behind their success. And I am Liv. It's so great to be discussing some things that I feel have changed on the planet since I have become an adult. I tell you what, when I was little, I discovered the power of storytelling. I remember the first time I was seven years old. My my father owned a truck stop because I grew up in this small town in North Louisiana. And it was great because there were a lot of characters that came through this truck stop. And my father was so fantastic and generous. He let me be the water menu girl starting at seven. Okay, so this was like an actual paid job. I was seven years old. And my job was to greet the truckers when they walked into the restaurant, which let's be honest, okay, there was not a hostess stand or, you know, there was nothing fancy. We, ha- we did have a jukebox, but that was it. So I would greet these truckers and they were not talkative. I don't know if you could imagine these guys who've been on the, the roads all day, right? And they're hungry and they're tired and they kind of smell like they're cabs. <laughs> and I would walk up this little seven-year-old all excited. And I'm like, you know, introducing myself and I give them a menu, sit them at a booth. And then I would go grab those, you know, those frosted plastic cups, you know, at a diner. It's like a, a color yellow that no one knows the name of it. It's just this awful, awful yellow. And you can, and you're not really sure, like you can't really see through it. So you're like, is that the water that looks that color? Or is that like because the glass is so horrible? No one makes this plastic anymore. So I would fill up this terrible glass, plastic glass, frosted, which that's why we don't do that anymore, with horrible tap water from North Louisiana. Nobody should drink that. And um, and then bounce away from these truckers. And I thought I was so cool. I thought I was really special. I even had a little tip jar of a little styrofoam cup and they would throw quarters in there. And um, But I remember one day there was a table of like 20 to 30 people that came in. And I was so excited because these weren't truckers. <laughs> and I, I love truckers. They were super cool. They let me hang out. But this was a whole group of people that they were going to order really cool stuff, more than just a burger, you know. They were here for dinner. And we had a great cook. Her name was Big Mama. And she was so fantastic. She had a little stool next to her and let me watch her cook all the food for the truckers and whoever came in the restaurant. And I loved her. And she let me tell her about my day. And she was a huge part of my childhood. So Big Mama was excited because we had 20 people who weren't going to order burgers. They were going to order real food. And I remember after I gave them all their frosted glasses of crummy water, I started talking to them and I started telling them about myself and I was telling them about this really interesting story that happened to my family at the 1984 Olympics in Los Angeles. Okay. And I'm telling this story and it's intense. It is a great story. And I'm laughing and I'm interacting with them. And it was the first time in my life that I realized the power of storytelling. I realized how much you could convey not just information, but you could really entertain. You could get reactions from people and the energy that you would get from the people listening, right? Your audience, per se, which was just these random people in this small town restaurant, right? 
I would feed off their energy and it would make my story grow or it would make my story maybe like change a little bit. You know, I would like maybe embellish. But I remember that was the first time I thought, whoa, this is something. I loved it. I loved storytelling from that day on. And I really then started to learn to love listening to other people's stories, right? It wasn't just about me trying to get my information out and entertaining and getting a laugh or telling something interesting or, you know, intriguing, but also in return, people then open up, right? When you tell them a story or you kind of involve them in a piece of your life, then they want to reciprocate and give that back. In this small town that I grew up in, the name is Natchitoches, Northern Louisiana, and It's kind of famous because there's a really great movie called Steel Magnolias that was filmed in my hometown. It's actually about my hometown. And in that film, you see a Christmas festival. There's a parade. There's a billion lights. This small town in real life is basically like a Hallmark city. It's just like one of those Hallmark movies, okay? It's got like iron fences and there's a beautiful river that goes through the middle of the town and the roads are made of brick. Like it is just this perfect Hallmark kind of town. So when the parade and when the festival is happening at Christmas time, forget about it. It's so fantastic. You don't want to leave. It's just magic. Well, I was about eight. (laughs) This is so crazy. And it was a big deal this year that I was eight because the grand marshal of the parade, of the Christmas parade, they would sometimes try to get a really famous big name, okay? And we're talking about Louisiana famous, you know what I mean? Like, this was like, we're not talking Oprah, okay? We're talking about who can we get around that can come and be at this little small town festival slash parade situation. That year they got, hold on, it's incredible, Vanna White. So anybody who has seen Wheel of Fortune, okay, Vanna White is technically, and this is a fact, Vanna White is 99 years old. Not many people know that, but she has been on television since the, actually, she was the first thing they filmed on television was Vanna White. That's a little known fact. Okay, that's not true. I don't know how old she is, but she has been on television so long and she has been a TV personality for so long. And Wheel of Fortune has been a big deal for a long time. So the fact that Vanna White came to my small town, people lost their minds, lost their minds. I had no clue on the planet who she was, okay? She just was really, really pretty. And my dentist in the town lived on the river. He had this great house right on the river in Natchitoches. Oh my gosh, are you kidding me? With all the Christmas stuff. And they would throw this big party. So you would go to the parade and you would go to his house and eat all the food. And then the festival would kick off and then the lights turn on, fireworks. I can't, it's just amazing. So I'm sitting on the couch of my dentist's house, (laughs) probably smearing chocolate on their white furniture. I don't know, I was eight. Vanna White plops down next to me. I have no idea who this lady is, okay? Not a clue in the world. Everybody else is like frozen watching me with Vanna White. And I start talking her ear off, telling her my name, telling her all these stories. I had gone to Europe and I was telling her about Europe and Paris and all this stuff. This kid from this small town in Louisiana with these big stories. 
And then she turned to me and she started telling me stories about herself. And it was fantastic. It was a great exchange where even though obviously we weren't intellectually the same and we weren't the same in where we were in life, she's this famous TV person and I'm a kid, you know, probably with a loose tooth. Good thing I'm at my dentist's office. But she was so kind and reciprocated story for story. Somebody actually got a Polaroid camera and snapped a, a shot of the two of us. And I still have it. If anybody remembers what a Polaroid picture is. And um, it was great because I remember my mom came up to me and said she really liked talking to you. And that's all I remember. I don't remember anything else. But that was a really important time of understanding how the art of conversation happens, especially between an adult and a child. And then what power happened in between that exchange of these words. So I love how we've moved into this space, right, where we have so much online. There's so much virtual content, but a lot of it is really manicured, right? There's a lot of editing that goes on, not just with our our pictures. Forget that Polaroid camera photo. That would have never made it onto my Instagram feed. Not a not even a story. Let's be real. I don't even think I would have put it on my Snapchat. But you know, at the time, I treasured that photo. That's all I had. But now I would toss it. There's no way it would make it. I would filter it. I don't know what I would do. We also edit our words. We edit our captions. We edit our stories. We edit. We put out what we want to put out. Even when we're being real, everything takes a pause and an intention. My mom used to say, Liv, you came into our lives in the middle of our lives. You didn't see your father and I struggle digging in the couch for 48 cents so we could go buy a box of Jiffy corn mix so we could eat, you know, like really bad muffins with water, that tap water I was talking about earlier. (laughs) She's like, you came and we have cars and we have a mortgage and we have all sorts of things. You weren't there through the struggle, through all the wonder. You look at us and you see our success. You weren't there for the beginning. And that's where I want to dig in. I want to dig into people's success. I want to celebrate it. But I want to hear the story behind it. I want you to talk to me. I want to hear how did you get to where you are or where you're going. I want to hear the journey. I want to hear the good stuff. It's interesting because when you're a kid, you think your teachers live at school. If you ever saw a teacher outside of a classroom, you lost your mind. You could not comprehend. What are you doing? Why are you grocery shopping? You should. Why are you not at the school? Like, what are you doing? Like, it was so confusing. I think we have applied that to anybody of authority. And in the Catholic Church, I think a lot of us do that with the religious people in our life. Okay. We have incredible priests. We have sisters. We have brothers. We have there's so many amazing religious people in our lives. But it's interesting. We look at our priest and we respect them. Okay. A lot of us respect them and we admire them, but we don't know how they became a priest. Like we, when you're talking to your priest and they're like, yeah, I was a basketball star or I had a really hot girlfriend in college. You're like, whoa, whoa, what? That's no, you're a priest. Like, what do you mean? That's not a thing. Our priest weren't born with a collar around their necks. They were totally, and still are, totally normal human beings. But there's a story behind how they got to where they are and why they chose the life that they chose. I have an incredible friend who came into my life a few months ago who has become a huge part of my life. 
shockingly, I've got to be honest. And we have a great story of how we met, but that is not what we're going to talk about today. (laughs) I want him to come on and tell his story because he's got a great vocation story. How did he get into this whole priesthood gig? Because he didn't start out, like I said, with a collar. He actually, I don't know, probably played baseball and did other things, even though he's from Canada. I'm pretty sure they have balls in Canada. (laughs) I don't know. But my friend, Father Daryl, is very much comfortable because he is an audio guy. He has a podcast. He has been on SiriusXM. He knows his way around an audiophile. Let me say that. I'm so pleased to have him as my guest on Talk To Me. Father Daryl, welcome. <laughs> Hi. How are you doing? Liv. Good to talk to you. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm so excited to talk to you. It's so funny because we're we're doing this and we can see each other, even though you're in Canada. So I'm so excited to see your face. So I know I'm just like beaming ear to ear. <laughs> but so tell me, am I am I right in believing that you did not come out of your amazing blessed mother as a priest? <laughs> I'm guessing. <laughs> You were a normal kid growing up in Canada, which please tell me where in Canada do you live? Because I know like two towns in Canada. I know nothing. (laughs) I live in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, (laughs) which basically. So many S's. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's it's a pronounce it as close to one syllable word as you can. Uh, Basically, if you uh, go to the border of Montana and North Dakota and go north about six hours. Also, I love that you think I know where states are. That is really kind. I I appreciate you have to understand. I live in Texas. We are not aware of any other states. We're told we live in the United States of America, but we don't know what that means. That's ridiculous. There's Texas. So you can tell me where to go from Texas and maybe I could find you. But you know what? Let's move on because (laughs) I already have no idea. So you grew up not a priest (laughs) for how many, (laughs) how many years were you not a priest? Uh, Let's see. I was ordained when I was 29. So So last summer. I'm just kidding. Thanks. Thanks. Um, Not quite. (laughs) (laughs) I'm also not good at math. So geography and math is what I do not do. (laughs) So how many years have you been a priest? I, uh, this summer will be 13. Lucky 13. Lucky 13. Oh, you're a teenager in your priesthood. <laughs> I was ordained on a Friday the 13th. So, hey, it all works out. That's crazy. Well, this is the year you'll get acne. So, congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> Don't eat chocolate. Wash your face <laughs> okay. right. as a priest. So, before, so 29, that's not a spring chicken. That's not like old by any means. But I'm guessing you had a life. Well, obviously you had a life. You have a life now. I love how I love how we think, oh, you're a priest. Like, we need to write you a sympathy card. Like, oh, well, I guess your life is over now that you're a priest. But that's the same with married men. Other people do that with married men. They're like, oh, that's sad. You took on a wife. <laughs> you know, like, it's like, here's a sympathy card. <laughs> so you do have a life. But before your priesthood life, what did you do besides not wear a collar? Besides not wear a collar, I did. Besides (laughs) that, I did electrical engineering and computer science degrees from the University of Saskatchewan, and uh, yeah, so I was like totally into the tech world, basically. Uh, Slowly getting involved in my faith, especially in university. Joined a university Catholic group and uh, got much more deeply into my faith, but I was still very much on a trajectory to uh, 
to the tech world. You know, back in the day when the internet was in its infancy and everything was all new and fresh and exciting that way, I was I was totally on track to get into that. Did you think about ever moving to the States, like to Silicon Valley or to Austin or were those options? I don't know. Maybe Canada has this big tech. Like, Obviously, you know, you guys have a big rodeo in Calgary. So is there like a big <laughs> IT? Maybe Vancouver. I don't know. Those are, See, look, I just said my two things. I know Calgary. <laughs> I know Vancouver. How impressed are you? <laughs> I'm very impressed. And actually, both of those would be uh, pretty big uh, tech hotspots in oh. Canada. So, yeah. Yeah. So Perfect. Perfect. Okay, so, but did you ever think about moving to the States as this whole internet thing was kind of blossoming? Yeah, I mean, basically it would have been wherever work would have taken me. And there were a lot of jobs back then, I'm, I'm sure now too, in, in the United States, Silicon Valley. <laughs> it's still going Valley well, we still have that, the so. internet. <laughs> yeah, the internet's still a thing. Who, who'd have thunk it? <laughs> okay, so, but when you were like a little kid, Take me back to when you were tiny growing up in Canada, which I just think you had like a pet bear and like you went fishing, like, you know, like it was like <laughs> a Brad Pitt film, <laughs> like fly fishing in a creek. Just go with me on this. I know that this is how your childhood was. So <laughs> what did you envision yourself being when you were in elementary school? For instance, I was going to be an astronaut even after the Challenger explosion. I was like, no, I am in. I am committed to my career as an astronaut. <laughs> so what were you kind of dreaming when you were when you were smaller? Oddly enough, it was either going to be a hockey player. <laughs> nice. I didn't play much baseball. I played hockey. Still do I actually, forgot. but got yeah. it. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it was either going to be a hockey player, but oddly enough, I didn't make the NHL. Didn't quite, you know. <laughs> it I, didn't I, work out. <laughs> Barely made our Bantam B team in my small town. So that's awesome. <laughs> uh, so I didn't make uh, the NHL, but I was actually, it was computers. Uh, so way early back on. in the mid 80s, my dad got our first home computer. Uh, and, uh, you know, one of those IBM compatible, whatever, you know, took, yeah, uh, it took like two totally. minutes to boot up and made tons of noise. And, and I was hooked, absolutely hooked. That's fantastic. So you're off being an engineer. You're off living this computer life with all the things coming out. Where was God in that entire scenario? <laughs> like once you got the degrees that you got and you're living as a real adult and you're, you know, making your own mac and cheese and your own pot and you're going to like <laughs> your job, you know, where were you in your faith? Not when you were in college, but you see what I'm saying where you're actually mm -hmm. living out your career, where were you with God during that time? Well, the interesting thing is I only spent one year outside of university before entering the seminary. So it actually came pretty quick. Okay, so the university years were actually a big, big part of it. And it was being involved, being invited to be a part of this university ministry. Someone invited me to an event and I made friends and I continued to stick with it. I ended up, ended up getting into leadership with this organization. And uh, when my university was done, um, I just wanted to give a year back. You know, they had this volunteer program and I wanted to give a year back because this ministry had given so much to me during my time. And uh, so basically for the first time in, in a long time, I had time to think and I was working <laughs> for a Catholic organization. And that's a dangerous combination uh, because, you know, a lot of my, my story is really subtle. Like God was annoyingly persistent 
and Ooh, subtly, like annoyingly that. persistent. Annoying, annoyingly persistent oh. and subtle. He's such a gentleman, that God. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, I, there'd be many times we'd be, uh, you know, there'd be some event or we'd hear some speaker or something and vocation would come up and it would it would hit me at the heart level and freak me out. Really? <laughs> Absolutely freak me out. Freak so you I, out? I, Oh, yeah. I mean, I couldn't, you know, priesthood was for like the holy guys, right? Not for right. me. <laughs> Not for me. Yeah. So, I mean, so it, it would freak me out. Uh, I would suppress it, you know, give it a few months. I would kind of forget that it ever happened. And just as I had forgotten it, uh. I'd hear some talk, I'd read some book, <laughs> talk to some person, it'd come up again. And then eventually and? after, you know, about s- several years of this happening and again, finally working for this organization, I kind of started, I'm a little dense. So it took me a while. I finally realized, oh, wait, there might be a pattern here. <laughs> maybe, maybe <laughs> well, you are mathy. So <laughs> you're like, hold on a second. <laughs> <laughs> wait a minute. Wait a minute. So That's basically, I, I, I started the process, you know, got a spiritual director, which was a very important part of it That's all. That's a smart move. I like and, that. And uh, eventually got into seminary and not sure whatsoever that I was actually called to be a priest when I entered seminary. It was another step of discernment. And my bishop was very supportive of that. He's like, yeah, that's the place you got to be. If you're going to discern this seriously, then, then that's where you need to be. Basically, I went to seminary and when it became really concrete that yes god was calling me to do this was actually during we, we do an internship here like i know a lot of people who study to become teachers do an internship and you know, yeah this kind of thing right? yeah true same thing in seminary so we do an internship year where we're in a parish and i was in a small town in saskatchewan a rural setting um truckers were there truckers <laughs> and ah, a there, cook named big mama that. there were some <laughs> truckers yeah yeah there were some truckers and uh, i love I mean, small towns just, they're the oh, best they just so down to earth right oh they're it, it was exactly what Salt i needed exactly what i needed to come out of my shell but Ooh. i remember the day when it all kind of coalesced for me that yes this was what god was calling me to do my pastor who i was with for that year in uh, brought me along as he went to visit this family home. And so we got to this family home and it turns out what we were doing that day was making something called head cheese. I do love cheese. No, is this that is like not Wisconsin? cheese. This is not cheese. Oh, it's not cheese. N- no. Why would they uh, call it head cheese? Like, what I is have that? no idea. I have no idea. Basically, <laughs> you, you think of like, you know, a hundred years ago plus when, you know, farmers would basically use every part of their livestock that they possibly could. So in this case, it was the pig. And they would make basically sausage out of the head meat. No. Yeah. And they called that head cheese. And people ate it? Is that haggis? Is that what the Scottish do? I feel like... I have no idea. What? <laughs> head cheese? So basically, it's such they're... such a lie. They're lying, these people. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's yeah. not I know, at all. Right? <laughs> So basically, I'm oh at this place, you know, with my, with my pastor and this family, and uh, they get me to help me make head cheese. And uh, no, no, I'm no, 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 no. Wait like... a second. Wait a second. Wait. What does yeah. that mean? Explain how you help make. You seem like. Do you need a therapist? How detailed do you want me to be? <laughs> I mean, we don't have to be graphic, but like, <laughs> I mean, what was your job? My you job. Chop anybody? Was... Did you like? I mean, you didn't like machete a pig, did you? They gave me the ears. And I had they to just handed those. you a bunch of ears or like a ear, uh, like a couple what does of that ears, mean? Uh, uh, pretty big. No. It's a big pig, and <laughs> I had to prepare those. 
to go into the uh, I think they would they would like boil the water with it so it gets some <gasps> of the flavor or something. And that was my job. I was basically preparing the ear guy ears. Oh and because my God is subtle and he knows my brain, he knows it's weird. <laughs> basically, he's like, "Here's my moment." <laughs> exactly, <laughs> right? Like, as if this was going to be, you know, like, oh yeah, it was Mother Teresa who appeared to me on on the hillside and told me, "No, no, no." Gave I was doing rosary. this. I was with this family, just right. being with boiling them in pig real ears life, as like absolutely real life. You can't get more real life than you know doing that, right? Absolutely wow. real life, and it just coalesced. You know what? God is calling me to be with His people. Mm. as his priest wow in, you know, it, it just it, it just remember we're driving back and it just it really hit me that day i'm where i need to be and stop uh, oh my gosh that's insane so i really love that it was it was the the concept of what everyday life as a priest would look like where you are with people and how you would be with them and how you would be a part of their lives and what that exchange would look like. That's so fantastic. So let me ask you this. What got quiet in your life so you could finally hear God? <laughs> <laughs> it's a good question, right? It's a fantastic it's like... <laughs> question. Oh, it's such a good question. I mean, is there any one moment? Maybe not. Like I say, it was a very God's action for me was very subtle. And annoyingly subtle. <laughs> and, and almost too subtle. <laughs> almost too subtle. Yeah. And basically, it was over time, I think he finally kind of, he wedged his way in there and I actually let him do it, I guess, very subtly. And uh, eventually spoke to me that, yeah, you, you got you to do this. <laughs> this, is, this is what I'm calling you to do. It was basically that annoying persistence. That annoying persistence. You couldn't fight anymore. You couldn't ignore... The constant yeah. pattern that he was putting into your life over and over again. You yeah. finally just succumbed and said, okay, great. Head cheese. Got it. <laughs> exactly. And, like, uh, and stop being so fearful life. about it, right? Like stop being so fearful about it. If right. this is what God's calling you to be, then it's good. <laughs> so maybe that's what, what, what quieted down was the fear. Mm-hmm. The fear that you had either imagined or that you really truly had. It no longer existed, so you could actually accept that amazing call whilst boiling a pig ear, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, as, as let's think do. about that. If you weren't afraid to boil the pig ears, what was there left to be afraid of? <laughs> <laughs> that is a Oh, I didn't think of that way. That's what if fantastic. that's what it was? Like, finally, he was like, look, if you can do this, dude, there's nothing left. <laughs> that is fantastic. No other fear. <laughs> so come on over. Here's your collar. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. I love it, it that way. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> great. I love it. No, it's such a great story. So how long after the boiling of the pig did you actually get ordained as a priest? So that would have been basically just before my last two years, excuse me, of seminary. So about a year and a half after that, I was ordained a deacon. So that okay. was in May of 2006. And then in July, July the 13th, Friday the 13th in 2007, <laughs> uh, which was a good day because mainly because the bishop was available. 
Nice. <laughs> That's an important. Is he not usually available? Where's the bishop? I feel like this uh, is his big time. I like, where think, would he be? I think I was traveling for a couple of weeks, you know, visiting classmates. And then when I got back to Saskatoon, he was away for a couple of weeks. Oh, so finally, I see. finally, when, when the two of us were Your schedules finally matched up. I see. Yes. That's adorable. Yes. yes. <laughs> It's very human, His people right? called your people. Oh, no, that's great. So Friday the 13th, and this is your 13th year. It's your golden anniversary because <laughs> you were ordained on the 13th. I know, I'm your extra friend. I'm the one who does all the things that's so extra. <laughs> so I'll be sending you golden geese. I don't know. We'll have to figure out something to celebrate. Maybe a gold like computer. That's more you. I don't know tech things, but um, but I love it. So I love that you shared your story. And because I'm sure you get all the time, people just assume you've been a priest or they assume you're holy 24-7. Not saying you're not. <laughs> or they assume, I mean, people make a lot of assumptions, you know, and here you have this big life where you go on pilgrimages with Lino Ruli and that I'm sure is a great story behind that whole thing and how you connect it with Lino <laughs> and how you get to tromp around <laughs> like all these foreign lands but it's easy right for people to look at these pictures of you and start making all sorts of judgments or start creating the story themselves and rarely do we have the gift of conversation anymore, right? We don't have time. Nobody has time to sit down and talk and get to the, the good, like, gooey middle part of a brownie, you know, like the good stuff. <laughs> How did that happen? How did that get there? But I think it's important to start with your your first, like, call from God and how he finally won you over. So thank you so much for sharing that with me. Thank you for talking to me. I can't wait to dig a little bit more the next time. Will you come back? I would love to have you back again. Oh, talk that'd to be me. fun. Thank you so much, Liv. This was, this was, this was a lot of fun. Fantastic. All right, sir. Well, I will see you on uh, the internet, <laughs> curated and edited. <laughs> but I really appreciate you being here. Thank you so much for tuning in to Talk to Me with Liv Harrison, the stories behind their success. Until next time, God bless. <laughs>